0: We'll be talking about the impact of gun violence in this podcast. If this is a difficult topic for you, please take care when listening.
1: We're at Columbine High School right now. I'm here with Mr. Tom Tonelli. He was my teacher at Columbine. Down here, this will take us to the cafeteria, right? Yeah. This is our cafeteria. I was over here under a table, literally right by those front doors. There's windows all around our cafeteria. And it really hasn't changed. And Coach Sanders was right on the top of the stairs right there on that landing, telling us, like, where the shooters were to get down. But when I was running out, the last I had seen of him, he was running up the stairs, And I vividly remember watching him run up the stairs. And that was the last time I saw Dave. This was the entrance over here to the library. You know, that's where we lost so many lives that day. But um, the new library is really beautiful. It's a beautiful library. It's huge. I mean, we use
2: it all the time.
1: Good. They opened up the ceiling of you know, where the library used to be, and it's beautiful paintings and pictures. Aren't they beautiful? Yeah. It's almost like looking at the sky. Not in, in loving memory of all the victims. Columbine High School, April twentieth, nineteen 1999. It will always be in our hearts and minds.
2: Is it strange or hard or?
1: You know, my anxiety is a little up right now, you know, especially walking past the library. And I mean, like, it's hard to breathe a little bit right now. And yeah, but after 21 years, like I come back here and it still feels like home. My name is Amy Over. And this is Confronting Columbine.
3: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
0: Welcome back to Confronting Columbine. I'm Nancy Glass here with Amy Over. Amy, you stayed close with your high school principal, a man who was there that day, Frank DeAngelis, right?
1: Right, I did. Mr. D is what we call him. He is the guy you see on TV. Uh, He's kind, wise, patient, and accessible. We're all 40 now, and we still call him with our problems. I have him literally in my cell phone. Um, And he takes my calls whenever whenever I call.
0: He really was the guy you all turned to when this happened, wasn't he?
1: He was. 2,000 kids, we had no idea how to act, respond, or even grieve, and he showed us the way.
0: Well, let's go back to Columbine High you're going to meet the principal, Mr. D., and a teacher, Tom Tonelli.
1: I am with my former principal, Mr. Frank DeAngelis. I know I'm going to cry. (laughs) I'm already crying. Uh, It's been a long 21 years. Yeah. You know, I can't speak for the whole class in 1999, but that first year was rough. I mean, Columbine was my home, and I had... So many amazing memories there.
4: If you would have told any of us that a Columbine could have happened at Columbine, we would have said, no, this school is unreal. And I had spent 20 years there. And I remember when my secretary ran in and said, there's a report of gunfire. First thing I said, this has to be a senior prank. We're literally a month and two days from you guys graduating. All of a sudden we run out of my office and my worst nightmare became a reality. Everything just seemed to slow down, so I thought i walked very calmly. But Mr. Laib and my secretary said, I just sprinted down the hallway towards the gunman. Police said, why did you do that? And I said, there's one reason. There were about 25 girls that were coming out of the locker room to go to class. They had no idea. They were laughing and joking. They would have been dead. And so I ran towards them and I said, we have to go. I remember. That gun was about the size of a cannon. And I remember the trophy case, shots being fired and the gunman is coming around the corner and girls are screaming. And I got him down that little hallway where the gymnasium was. Pull on the door, it's locked. I had 30 keys on that key ring. So we literally were trapped. But what saved us was Dave Sanders. He was coming down the hallway And the gunman, he saw Mr. Sanders, so he turned around, stopped momentarily, and shot Mr. Sanders in the back of the head. I pull out that key and it opened.
0: That one key. As principal, Frank DeAngelis had about 30 keys to the building. With the gymnasium doors locked, he would have to act quickly to get the girls to safety. The gunmen were distracted for a moment. In a stroke of luck, Mr. DeAngelis picked the one key that opened the gym doors. It was a miracle that he chose the right key. The doors opened, and they escaped.
4: And so if Mr. Sanders didn't come up, we probably would have been trapped there and all dead.
1: He was a hero. He saved us. He saved my life.
4: I can remember as the day ended, one of the most difficult things, and it haunts me to this day, after... I helped the police, they transported me down to Leewood Elementary. That's where they were bringing the kids from Columbine on the bus to meet with their parents. And so I was in the gymnasium, it's 8 o'clock at night, and unfortunately I had a teacher come up and he had blood all over. And I said, what's that? And he said, this is Dave Sanders' blood, I think he's dead. As the night went on, there's maybe 100 people left in the gymnasium, and parents were coming over. And I had been there for 20 years, you know, I taught and coached, and parents were coming over and saying, Frank, did you see my son or daughter? And I said, no, I had not. Father actually went and stuck his head out the door. He said, Frank, there's been yellow school buses that have been coming here continuously for the past four hours. There's no more buses.
0: No more survivors were coming. It became clear to the grief counselors what had to be done. Frank was instructed to inform the parents and remaining family members that the missing children were probably never
4: coming home. I was never prepared for it.
1: How did you find the words to talk to us after the shooting? Like, how did you find the courage to stand up there and talk with us?
4: I had no idea, and I was just in shock, and I was feeling so much guilt, and I'm a person of faith, and I said, God, just give me the words, and all of a sudden, they called my name, and I remember you guys just standing up, and people are crying, and I don't know if you remember, but I turned my back, I couldn't even face it, and I was, I mean, I was just taken with emotion, and I turned around, and all of a sudden, I looked at you, and I got this strength it was one of the toughest things and i remember government officials being there and i looked away from them but i saw my kids there you did and then it was two days later that we set up shop over at west Bowl's community church they had counselors for all the students they did and so one of the counselors came over and said mr d your kids need to see you I said, I have nothing to give. I'm drained. I haven't eaten in two days. I haven't slept. I said, I am not very good for anyone right now. They said, please come with me. So I walk into that auditorium, and you kids all stand up and you start chanting, We love you, Mr. D. Mm -hmm. We love you, Mr. D, and we're Columbine. I start crying. And I turn my back again, and the counselor whips me around. He said, there's been kids uncertain how to feel. And by you showing emotion, you gave them permission. And they gave me the strength.
1: You let us feel what we needed to feel. Like you gave us that okay to cry and to grieve. That was powerful because I was so angry. Yeah. And I was confused and sad and You gave us hope. I remember at our 10th class reunion, you got up and spoke. And um, you said you always worried about our class. And like, I just, that's made me sad that you worried about us for so many years.
4: You were the ones that left me.
1: We didn't want to leave.
4: I know. (laughs) We didn't want to leave at all. It was so difficult because the last memories that you had were running out of that school. And they allowed you to go back in to get backpacks, but you never saw the classrooms. You were on your own. Yeah.
1: Mass shootings weren't a thing. Like, I think you guys did an amazing job of taking care of us.
4: We were making all these decisions. And they said, well, when do we go back to school? Well, we couldn't go back in the building because if you would have saw the damage to that building, because the SWAT team comes in and there were bullet holes everywhere. And it was so crazy, they finally said, the FBI said, are you ready to go in the library? And I said, I need to know how my kids died. And I remember spending two hours in the library.
0: In Columbine's library, homework and college applications were left out. Calculators were left on, and books were left open. Ten of the 13 murder victims were shot there. Most were found under tables where they had been hiding from the gunmen. It was also the location where the perpetrators killed themselves.
4: It was still a crime scene, and they explained how every kid died.
0: And then it was only a few weeks later,
1: and then we graduated.
4: It was May 22nd. Mm -hmm. It was two days after President Clinton came, and we had... 14,000 people at Fiddler's Green, and it was broadcast live around the country. Lauren Townsend was a valedictorian.
0: Lauren Townsend was the ninth murder victim killed in the library. She was a champion volleyball player and a brilliant student. Deeply rooted in faith, Lauren seemed to have a premonition about an early death. A passage in her diary read, i do think humanity is losing touch with itself and their relationship with their surroundings unfortunately it usually takes a huge trauma to get people to realize what is important and i feel that it's going to happen to wake up everyone to get in touch with their spiritual sides i'm not afraid of death for it is only a transition for in the end all there is is love the class of 1999's graduation was joyful and heartbreaking.
1: I remember it was a beautiful ceremony.
4: And Lauren, her mom, and her stepdad came up there to get the diploma, where I handed it to them, but it was just, it was so surreal. Along the way, you have learned how precious life can be. You have learned to value each day
0: one student delivered these moving words.
1: Because of what occurred on April 20th, I must recognize what I have learned. To love deeply and to appreciate every word and every gesture of every person I love or will love. Frank, how did you do after we were gone?
4: When I knew I was really screwed up, it was right around, uh, what well, was 4th of July and I went to a Rockies game. It was a 4th July game. The fireworks display went off, and I had a meltdown. I mean, I literally got in a fetal position. I mean, the fireworks, and it just brought me back.
1: Trauma has a weird way of creeping up into your life when you least expect it.
5: This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
4: What makes
0: a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? (laughs) Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: You know, what always bothered me was all the things that the press said about us. I want to set the record straight, you know, like there is something special about Columbine.
4: And that was one of the most difficult things for me because the students and staff said, Mr. D, the media, these are lies, but I was named in eight lawsuits. And so the attorneys are saying, you can't say anything. And I had to sit there, it's all these lies about you and the athletes and others, and they were outright lies and how these kids were bullied. And that message has to be they were not. They weren't. I mean, the one kid idolized Adolf Hitler. When I saw those basement tapes, he said, there are people at Columbine that are weak and they deserve to die. It's all about survival of the fittest.
0: The infamous basement tapes. Five weeks before the Columbine Massacre, the perpetrators created a chilling series of videotapes explaining their crimes. They recorded themselves, talking about all the people they wanted to destroy. They described their murder fantasies in disturbing and graphic detail, relishing the carnage. The videos were clear evidence of their criminal conspiracy to commit mass murder. They also left superficial apologies to their parents killers were playing to the camera and provided important information to law enforcement about the relationship dynamics between them. The media was hungry to get their hands on the tapes, so they filed lawsuits. But law enforcement felt differently. They were concerned about the public ever seeing them.
4: He would say, we need to kill that kid because he mispronounces it should be espresso and they say, expresso. he deserves to die. And this kid, I'm in this class, and he makes me laugh, and I can't wait until I kill him. And one of the things that turned my stomach, they went up to Rampart Range, and they purchased those guns, and they were up there, and I'll never forget it. They had a bowling pin, and they put it on a tree stump, and they had just purchased these guns illegally. And they're firing the guns, and they're laughing. And he said, can you imagine what that's going to feel like when that's some kid's brain exploding? And this was in the film. And one of the most taunting things was right before they left, they were doing their farewell. And he's dressing up in the vest and the whole thing. And he's quoting Shakespeare. And he said, Mom and Dad, we're sorry. You're going to be blamed for this. But you were good parents. We're just evil kids. And goodbye. And the camera goes off. That's when they get in their car and drive to Columbine High School.
0: The quote from Shakespeare came from Eric Harris. It was from Shakespeare's The Tempest. Good wombs have born bad sons.
4: They did it in the parents' basement. This kid was a psychopath.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And this really sounds weird, but we're fortunate. But if those bombs would have went off, it would have killed six to seven hundred people.
1: Yeah.
4: No, these were two evil, evil kids. Yeah. You know, and the thing that just weighs on my mind because I saw pictures of them when they were growing up. I mean, missing teeth. Then I saw the kid pointing a gun at me and I said, what happened? When they took their own lives, they took a lot of those answers to the grave with them. And we'll never know.
1: So the media played the scenes from the cafeteria over and over again. Was there any other footage in the school that wasn't released to the public?
4: If you ever see footage that they're saying that that's film of the actual shooting in the library, that's not. Because there were two cameras in the building. One was in the cafeteria. I said, I'm watching people that leave food on the table. Mm-hmm. And the other was outside just to see the senior parking lot. Yeah. There's people out there. I get a phone call. It was the school resource said, Frank, I thought you said there were no cameras. I said, there wasn't. Well, there's some guy saying he's got actual footage of kids dying in the library. I said, that's not a-. So the guy, he said, come here. Guy gets on the phone, he said, who are you? And I said, I'm the principal. And he said, what are you saying? I said, what you have is not what the film was. It was black grainy film. They're showing colored pictures. And I said, that's not.
1: I know you're a person of faith. but Did you ever stop believing?
4: I'm a cradle Catholic. First time in my life, I was questioning my faith. And I said, how could there be a God when I just witnessed, you know, all this horrific things that happened? And Father Ken Leone called me and he said, Frank, you need to come down to the church. So I walk into St. Francis Cabrini and there's about 1200 people in the sacristy. And he said, Mr. D, come up on the altar. And we both start crying. It was like something descended upon him. And he whispered something. He said, Frank, you should have died that day. He said, God's got a plan for you. Now you need to go rebuild that community. And then he quoted, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And he said, God's gonna allow you to finish. Your community needs you right now and don't ever give up hope. Cause there were some nights I'd come home. I'd, you know, I'd get to school and work, you know, 15, 16 hours, it was easy for me to go downstairs and get a glass of whiskey. And I said, I can't do this because I need to be there for everybody. And it it was tough. I mean, I would have a hard time carrying on a conversation with people eye to eye because I felt so much guilt. Well, and unfortunately it cost me a marriage. I come home one night and my wife, I'd been married for 18 years. She said, you're not the man I married. I said, you're right. I got myself into counseling. And when I said, you need to come in, he'll explain what's going on. He said, I don't understand. You're not that same person. You're the one screwed up. I'm not. Well, the thing that hurt me the most is my daughter, she was a sophomore, class of 2001. So she was a sophomore over at Thunder Ridge. And so my wife, every night I came home, she'd tell my daughter, Oh, guess what? Dad's home. Guess what? We're going to talk about Columbine, Columbine, Columbine. And that's the last thing I need to hear. Yeah. So I'd come home when they were sleeping. I'd leave before they got up. Well, that didn't work well. So one night I come home and my daughter is crying and she said, dad, remember how you told me I'm always going to be daddy's little girl. I'm not your little girl anymore. It's all those kids from Columbine and they're hugging you and you're loving them. What about me? I'm your daughter. Wow. and that broke my heart things were going well until five years ago she calls me up she said you're not my dad you're frank and i haven't talked to her in five years i'm sorry Frank. and so and i look at it and i apologized i said haley i did the best i could i you know i apologize i didn't know and she was so hurt by that and she's well two years younger than you she's 38.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: i got a grandchild i haven't met yet there is a cost It's just we feel we want to help others.
1: It's hard. I'm not going to lie. It's tough when you hear from a new survivor and they're telling you their struggles. I mean, my heart just drops for them. But I've got to help. It's my way of coping with Columbine as well. It's my way to heal, too, is to help others. And that's all I know to do.
4: It was a hard lesson for me. And I remarried. A good story to the divorce, I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. After the shooting, I received probably 4,000 cards. I was gonna read 25 cards a night, you know, until I got through 4,000. And most of them were very, you know, thinking of you, da-da-da-da. But there were some death threats made on me and things. And so my counselor said, Frank, you don't need this right now. You got other things. So I put the cards away. So now, 2002, going through the divorce, and my wife, at the time, moved out. And I go in this basement downstairs, and I just pull out this box of cards. First card I pulled out was from my high school sweetheart. We dated back. She was a junior and I was a senior. She sent me a card in April of 99. It had been sitting in that box for three years, so I opened it. She says, I'm not sure if you remember me. I said, are you kidding me? My first love. <laughs> well, the funny thing... I remembered her mom's number from 30 years ago because I used to call it all the time. And I dialed (laughs) it and I said, Mrs. Wethington, this is Frank. Diane said, how are you? And I said, I feel so badly because Diane sent me this card and I haven't responded in three years. And I said, can I give her a call? I said, let me give her your number. She called me back and we've been together now for 19 years.
5: That's
1: so, that's a beautiful story.
4: Well, I don't care how old you get. You're always going to be my kids, yep. and I just, you know, I'm, I'm a proud father. I really am, and uh, whatever you need, I am here.
1: Thank you. You lifted us up, and uh, I couldn't have got through without you, and I want to thank you.
4: When you ask people, they know the names of the killers, but they don't know the names of the victims, mm-hmm. and I refuse to let that happen. Yeah. I refuse. Every morning, I wake up. Before my feet hit the ground, I recite the names of the 13. And that gives me a reason to do what I'm doing. You know, they're not going to die in vain.
1: Rachel Scott, Daniel Rohrbaugh, Kyle Velasquez, Stephen Kernow, Cassie Bernal, Isaiah Shoals, Matthew Ketcher, Lauren Townsend, John Tomlin, Kelly Fleming, Daniel Mauser. Corey DePooter and Coach Dave Sanders.
0: Wow. What a guy. Is he angry over what happened to him in his first marriage, do you think?
1: I can't speak for Frank if he's angry. I think the main emotion is guilt, that he's been struggling with guilt for 21 years. Not being there for his family and his daughter, guilt for all of us kiddos that went through this uh, tragedy. And I'll tell you a story, Nancy. After Columbine happened, he went to the elementary school and he told those kids Hi, I'm Frank DeAngelis and I'm the principal at Columbine High School, and I'll be your principal when you come to Columbine High School. And he stayed there. He didn't retire until every kid in kindergarten graduated high school. They saw what happened in our community. And he knows everyone's name. He knows everyone. I think he has a photographic memory. You want to talk about a stand-up guy?
0: Yeah, he's exceptional. But when I was also listening to him and he says... Dave Sanders came down the hall. Dave Sanders saved our lives. My heart went out for you because I know how much you loved Dave Sanders. So when he talks about that, what's going through your mind?
1: Just how horrific that must have been. It sounds like Mr. D saw Dave get shot. That just uh, hurts my soul. Brings back so many vivid memories. It's really hard to hear. I can't believe that he picked out that one key to get into the gymnasium that saved all those lives.
0: And then when he talks about the library, you were going to be in the library that day.
1: I was. If I hadn't gotten the scholarship, I would have, you know, gone to the library. I was really into... uh The internet was getting big, and so I was like, I love to look up my horoscopes and always just mess around on the computer and and do, you know, uh, I just learned how to do PowerPoint presentations, and so I was messing around with that kind of stuff.
0: But on that day, you got a scholarship, and so you decided to go to the cafeteria, and thank God.
1: Thank God. Well, I thought I was going to go hang out with my friends, but that didn't happen.
0: Amy, what was graduation like that year?
1: Graduation was nationally televised. We knew it was going to be nationally televised. My family, being from Washington, was ecstatic to watch me graduate on TV. That was exciting for them. It was an incredibly hot day. It was supposed to be the most special day of your life. You're, you know, as 18 years old, I, I was supposed to be happy and excited, but there was so much sadness.
0: One last thing. Let's talk about these fake videos that were out there. What was that about?
1: Oh, my gosh. There's so many fake videos and ugh, fake like people trying to mimic the perpetrators. So we, we still get, actually, like a couple months ago, we, we still get threats from people that will, will threaten and say, like, you should have died the day of Columbine. I'm going to finish the job. Why? I have no idea they're sick, crazy people. I, I have no idea why this happens. I haven't gotten one in a couple of years, but I've gotten Facebook requests from both of the you know perpetrators from Columbine.
0: There are people out there who are sick and hateful and completely crazy
1: and obsessed with Columbine.
5: Every day is a great day when you're not worrying about your appliances and home systems. And that's what you get with an American Home Shield warranty. With American Home Shield, you can protect your home and wallet from unexpected breakdowns like leaky faucets or faulty water heaters or wonky thermostats. Now that's something to celebrate. When it comes to protecting your appliances and home systems, don't worry, be warranty. For 20% off plans, go to ahs.com slash Wondery. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions.
1: We are in Mr. Tonelli's classroom. He <laughs> has thousands of pictures on his wall. There's so many pictures of all the different classes. Um, I'm actually not on this wall and it makes me sad, so I might send you a 40-year-old picture.
2: (laughs) And I'll take it, I love it. I think one time a kid, I taught summer school, (laughs) and a student at the end of summer school said, I just want you to know, because it tells you how boring I was that summer, that I counted up your pictures and there were 4,583 or something like that. And since that time, there's probably about 500 more Wow. So probably right around 5,000 pictures.
1: 5,000 pictures. Of former
2: students, yeah. And they're all former students or some connection to the school, which is awesome.
1: So this is over 20 years. there's over about
2: 27, 25, 27 years, yeah.
1: 25, 27 years of. Uh,
2: I think I, the first year I didn't do it, and then just kind of started asking.
1: Mr. Tanelli, I got a, I got a favor to ask. Can yeah. can I go see the girls basketball room? Yeah. I would love to show them.
2: But it won't be there. We can go where it was at, but it's, it's that's not one of the there. One, anymore. That's one of the one places. Hi, this is Jeannie Coin. She's a math teacher in
6: Hi, nice Obama to meet Coyne. you.
2: She's I'm Mama so sorry. Coyne I literally
6: just put a recess in my mouth. <laughs> both
2: her kids came through Columbine, mm-hmm. but also she's Mama Coin because all everybody loves her. She's no, like i I'm, I'm old. She's a so class. I'm, a kid, so <laughs> like, uh, no. I'm old enough to be some <laughs> of the, you the parents. You be grandma-coin and you're grandma, not- Grandma,
6: I'm, on, I'm almost there. No. Not. Well, welcome. Are you taking a little tour? We yeah, are, yeah.
2: We These guys graduated from Columbine- In
6: 1999,
2: yeah. And so oh, okay. Oh,
6: it's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. What do you
2: think of the school? Like, What does Columbine mean to you?
6: Everything. I know that sounds generic, but it means everything. The experience that my kids had here and having them come home yeah. and just loving school. I'm old and I wanna keep teaching
1: because of Columbine. What grade do you teach? I'm um, Ninth and 10th. Ninth and 10th, mm-hmm. awesome, yeah. math? Yeah.
5: Yes. Very yes. cool.
1: And it just, honestly, the feeling you get
6: every day when I walk in this building, it's just, I'm so happy to be
1: here. One, yeah. one hard, really hard day, but right. um, I mean, I had a fabulous high school experience. Sorry Tom, I know you wanted like a one-word answer, but no, you know me, I can't go <laughs> well, and I love this. <laughs> That's awesome. How nice. Nice you? to meet you.
2: Do you remember when you were walking here and all the lockers?
1: Yeah, my locker was like right here. Over here.
2: Yeah. And you get here and you head to your left and you go down the hallway and you go to the gym, right? Yeah,
1: yeah I I just want to go see I wanna show you the basketball court and stuff. Oh my gosh. I spent so much time in this gym. Mr. Moore would be running, saying we are Columbine and-
2: I think it's a boy ball
1: though. Oh yeah, oh man. Man, I haven't played in so long. It's been a minute. Oh yeah, I made one. Woo! There we go. There's the money maker. This blows my mind. Thank you so much, Tom. <laughs> I'm here with Mr. Tom Tonelli. He was my favorite teacher at Columbine. And I only had you my freshman year. I messed around a lot in your class.
2: No, you were a great kid. <laughs> So, I'm still teaching, I'm still in the same room. Yeah. You know, not only do I teach there, I went to high school there, student taught there. I live in the community, so I live right across the street. My kids go there. My daughter just graduated two years ago. I have a daughter that's a senior, I have a son that's a sophomore, and a son who's in eighth grade who will end up at Columbine, too. So, wow. this has really been part of my life. All my siblings went through Columbine. And
1: you'll coach football?
2: And I still coach football, yeah. You do and varsity? yep with all of the same guys we've been together for 27 years
1: i want people to know just what a great community we have and it didn't stop after columbine happened
2: yeah i think maybe sometimes people have a misconception that the community was strong either before or it was strong after and i think it was really strong both it didn't start or stop on april 20th i say all the time that I can't imagine a better job. I teach with all my best friends. I worked for Frank DeAngelis, who was like my dad. And then the kids that just have this gigantic impact on you. You get into teaching, I think, because you feel like, I'll make an impact, and that's really grandiose and really nice, and that's wonderful and stuff. But I never would have imagined just the impact kids would have on my life. The greatest lessons I've ever learned have been in that school, and, and most of them come from students.
1: Thank you. I mean, you were just a really influential part of my learning. You were always there for us and you made learning fun. I remember sitting in your classroom the day the O.J. Simpson verdict came out. You were like, this is a big part of history and we've got to
2: watch this. And, and you know,
1: we were all just glued to the TV.
2: It was this kids that held the school together. It really was.
1: Were you at school that day?
2: So I was at school that day. And I think what people don't understand about that day unless they were there is just the sheer chaos of the whole thing. It was just surreal. Every kid's got a different story. There's one kid with a gun. No, there's five kids with a gun. They're wearing this, they're wearing that. I don't think we ever really knew what was really going on during the moment of the whole thing. I remember praying maybe the simplest prayer there is, and that is, God, please help us. God, please help us. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And just being incredibly terrified for our kids' safety, but also just being like, this cannot be happening. This is just not, this cannot be happening.
1: At our school. At at, our school. At our school.
2: Yeah. Of all the places in the world. And the whole thing being just absolutely surreal.
1: And then the days after, it was crazy. I mean, with the media, everyone kind of came together and there were places for us to go, all the churches, all of the gathering places. And I have forgotten a lot. It's been 21 years. Yeah. So what was it like for you when you saw your wife for the first time?
2: So I I didn't have any kids. My wife was actually finishing up graduate school. So I called right away. You know, There's no cell phones back then. So I, I got to a phone, I can't even remember how, called her office and just said, hey, I'm safe. Don't worry about it. And then I didn't see her again till midnight that night or talk to her again. I think the hardest part for me, I'm 20, I don't know, 28 years old or whatever. I'm not 15, 16, 17, and 18. Yeah. And and that's not to say it's not crushing when you're 27, 28, or 29. But I think it was just, it was devastating to see what it was doing to our kids. It was devastating to think that our kids had to go through this. And then it was even more horrible to think that possibly someone from within our community did this. Yeah. You know, I think that was without a doubt The single hardest thing is Mm -hmm. to think that it's someone that we knew, someone that was close to us. And it seems like from everything that I understand, the more that we find out and the more that was released from people that actually researched this Mm -hmm. correctly or are experts in crime or psychology, those are the people that have said, look, this was not about athletes versus anybody else. It was about two very, very psychologically sick children. That, I think, is where I'm at now, you know, 20 years later. That takes a long time to get there because especially you're getting inundated with, oh, no, no, this is why it happened. And someone telling you every day these poor kids are going to school and there's media trucks. They're getting questioned all the time.
1: Yeah, you're right. The media was everywhere. So much conflicting information. We were just trying to be normal kids i'm so proud
2: of how they navigated this thing yeah how in the world did a bunch of 15 16 and 17 year old kids navigate this time in their life it's amazing to me how well they did and that's why i always say again like they're the glue the faculty's there the administration's there the community's there it's the kids that are the glue in this whole thing to keep us together
1: you know i have a lot of underclassmen friends that were there and I feel like you guys did a really good job at just helping with their mental wellness, helping with their journey back. That could not have been easy. And I always tell myself, I'm like, would I have wanted to go back?
2: Yeah. Would Would you have?
1: I, yes. Really? Yes.
2: Do you think it would have been healthier for you to go back? Yes,
1: I think it would have been healthier for me.
2: One thing I was very upset that they did at the very beginning was they said, we're going to make you go back to school at Chatfield. And I was one of the people, and I think most of us were in that thing, like, just end the semester. It's April, just end the semester. Why are you making us go back to school? But being back in school, going to Chatfield and going through that, I think was the best thing they could have done for us. And even though classes were completely abnormal, and even though you may not have gotten anything done in terms of curriculum, it was just so important for us to have everybody together again and to have some sense of normalcy. Yeah. I think that's why we worried so much about the class that was the class of 99 because they went to Chatfield but they never came back to Columbine and graduation occurred and that was I mean that was a very that was so difficult
1: it was so difficult and graduation was a really hard day for me because my family flew in and it was televised and it was just you know I was emotionally exhausted I remember just trying to be happy to graduate and I'm with my peers but I remember at the end After I got my diploma, my family just left. Uh Like nobody greeted me afterwards and said congratulations. Uh You know, it'll make me like really emotional, but like I didn't have that support system. Uh And I don't fault my parents, you know, my grandma was really old and she wasn't feeling well and it was extremely hot that day and they up and left, but like everyone was greeting each other and like parents and families were taking pictures so my boyfriend at the time i remember his family just kind of grabbing me and taking pictures and stuff so that helped and then you know i went over to all my other friends but i was just kind of jealous that they had all that support system and like i didn't have anybody there for me my parents just wanted everything to kind of go back to normal Okay, you graduated, like, go on with your life. Yeah. I am pissed off about it. I'm sad. Because I would never have done that to my children. Ever. I'm their biggest fan. My daughter got her permit yesterday, and I'm just geeking out and taking pictures. And no one did that for me. I just needed them after Columbine. But I you know, I didn't have that support, but I had support from friends and I have support now. I thank you for for your support over the years. And I don't think I'd be the person I am today without, you know, the Columbine staff and faculty. You guys really were our mentors. My mom's dying from cancer. Oh, so so um Yeah, my mom has stage four rectal cancer, and I just never want to hurt her or hurt her feelings. But I definitely needed them, and they weren't there.
2: That is so you, though. That's the kid I remember, just like you do not want to. You do everything to make everybody happy. I do. Your teachers, your coaches, your family. That's just who you are. And that's why I said, like, with your heart, that's who you are in your heart, but you're right. I mean, in some ways it's not always maybe necessarily the healthiest thing to always want to make everyone else happy yeah. at the cost of yourself.
1: Well, Coach Sanders benched me a couple times. I didn't make him happy a few times. He <laughs> <laughs> you, you would bench me for my attitude sometimes. What would you say is the hardest thing you've had to deal with over the past twenty one years?
2: The hardest thing to deal with is that what would have happened with those kids, and what kind of, you know, not just career-wise and all that stuff, but what kind of of dads would they have been or moms would they have been, you know? And already, what kind of children were they? And their, their parents have just this incredible loss. You know, I turned
1: 40 this Saturday. I just think of the 13 lives that they don't get to turn. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're over the hill now, but I'm so grateful for every single milestone that I've gotten to hit. I'm so grateful for my life. I would give anything to see Lauren Townsend be a mom. Yeah.
2: Lauren was a student of mine that semester. And I love Lauren and think the world of Lauren and felt very honored that her parents asked me to speak at her service. Lauren was a 4.0 student. It was valedictorian. But the bottom line is that's not the best part about Lauren. I mean, you know that. The best part about Lauren was that she was just so kind. So kind. And I think about would she have have gone on and been a doctor or um, whatever she wanted to be? Absolutely. But... A better thing lauren would have been as a mom and a wife yeah. and just a friend and yes that was her heart
1: yes i lost my faith that day for a little while yeah
2: with reason because you i'm sure you were asking how does god let this happen yeah i carry like even right now I in my pocket i have a small little crucifix and i remember holding it in my hand some days and you know riding on the whiteboard and just be like, God, you got to help us. You're our only hope right now. Yeah. And so in this world of darkness and despair, I would hold a cross. And so I would absolutely go there every single day. And it's a public school, but nobody's trying to proselytize the kids. But I'm telling you, like, the faith was deep in that school. It was deep before, and it was deep after, and it's deep now.
1: I had to find my way back to my faith. And it's kind of like my calling, yeah. that this is what I need to do is to help other survivors.
2: And there's a beauty in that there's a Mm -hmm. beauty in that
1: so when columbine opened up in the fall were you afraid to go back and teach
2: i know it might sound strange but i've never been afraid there it'd be presumptuous of me to say oh gosh everybody should return they've got to decide what's best for them and some of them saw stuff and went through stuff that i can't even imagine and so those people who chose not to return or maybe even left education. I totally get it. But I will say I was surprised by the amount of teachers that came back and I was surprised by the amount of students that came back, which I think is a real testament to the community that we have.
1: Did any previous students come back to teach at Columbine?
2: I teach social studies. There are 13 of us. Seven graduated from Columbine High School. So over half our department is filled with Columbine teachers and five of the seven were there when it happened. Five of the seven. I don't even attribute it to that day. I attribute it to what Columbine means to so many people with or without the tragedy.
1: What would you say is the most important thing you've learned through all of this?
2: After 27 years of teaching and 27 years of being at Columbine, I would say not anecdotally, because it's really easy for me to say, anecdotally, this is what kids need. They need you to care about them and they need to not worry so much about their futures. We tell kids that if they get into this entrance exam and they get into this college and they make a lot of money, they'll be happier. But the data shows that's not true at all. There's been extensive studies that show once you make about $75,000 a year, the level of happiness you have in your life levels off. It, It plateaus. If you look at the data of what makes people happy, it's all relationships. Not only are we telling kids something that is false, we're telling kids something that science proves is false. It's not just a feel good type of thing. And I'm not saying that kids shouldn't learn academically, that they shouldn't be challenged, that we shouldn't do everything we can to make sure that they achieve as much as they possibly can intellectually. But we are missing the mark Mm -hmm. and we are setting them up for misery if we say these are the things that are going to make you happy because they are not going to make you happy I think sadly society is pressing kids towards this it's really important
1: to raise kiddos that are emotionally intelligent I have a 15 year old daughter that you know has struggled with an eating disorder has struggled with depression and anxiety and I can't help but look at me like okay well she looks at her anxious mom you know she's like a product of me
2: I am glad that your daughter is a product of you
4: Thanks. I really am
2: because even when you were 14 years old you had a kind and gentle heart yeah and you were competitive as all get out on the yeah. basketball court <laughs> and that's super healthy yeah but when it came to your friends and to how you treated people I'm grateful that she's a product of you yeah I'm grateful thank you we are very proud of you thank you, very proud of
1: you. thank you thanks for being here today on the next episode of Confronting Columbine. They put a whiteboard in the window that said one bleeding to death to try to get people to come to that science room. The helicopter zoomed in on it and it's just, it's still so surreal to think that they wrote that because of him, that in that room, he was bleeding to death. For more information on The Rebels Project or to donate, please go to therebelsproject.org and see me there. Want to know more about the Confronting Podcast? Please follow us at Confronting Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for photos, additional content, and discussions about the podcast. We are all confronting something, and I look forward to continuing the discussion from our episodes over social media with all of you. If you enjoyed this one, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me. Confronting Columbine was produced and hosted by me, Amy Over. Executive produced by Nancy Glass, Andrea Gunning, Ben Fetterman, and Carrie Hartman. Produced by Julie Clark, associate producer, Trey Morgan. Editing by senior audio editor, Matt Dovecchio, editor, Drew Wallace, and Dean Welsh. With production assistance from Megan Paisley and Brianna Fars. Other members of the production team include Kristen Melchiori, Pete Ward, and Natalie Thomas. Music and original composition by Mybe Music. Confronting Columbine was produced by Glass Entertainment Group, Glass Podcasts in partnership with Wondery.
6: Imagine falling in love with the perfect partner. Charming, caring, handsome, successful, and utterly captivating. But what if that love was nothing more than an elaborate con orchestrated by your alleged best friend? Sometimes the perfect match can be a dangerous game. I'm Tiffany Reese, host of Something Was Wrong. Join me for season 20 as we unravel the chilling story of a group of friends ensnared in one of the most elaborate catfishing schemes of all time. Meet the survivors who thought they found love, friendship, and trust, but instead found themselves entangled in a web of lies, all spun by one person. Uncover the chilling truth behind Brody, a fictitious persona meticulously crafted to deceive and control women for over a decade. Follow Something Was Wrong on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Something Was Wrong early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.